Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. The Case for Science, Neil deGrasse Tyson. So I'm not entirely what I seem. <laughs> and then you look at the atoms in your body and you, they're scattered, they exist in the universe because that's where they came from, forged in the hearts of stars. So I've taken upon myself to be as good as I can possibly be in the service of the public's curiosity. That's what I am. I'm a servant. And I do that willingly, and I do it gladly. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? So this is part one of our two-part podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson, an astrophysicist and author. Neil is probably the best-known science communicator in the world who shares his wonder, his knowledge of science, and why it matters. Neil's new book is Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Neil, good? You got it? Yeah, you sound great. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just before we started speaking with Neil, Jim explained who we are. So, Neil, when we get rolling, I'm the resident science nerd. And, and I'm the ignorant. Was a, and you one of each at all places. Right? <laughs> so, Richard, we're doing this show from a very cool location. Yeah, we're in the offices of Neil deGrasse Tyson at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. Neil, thanks for inviting us to your office. Yeah. Delighted to have you in our inner sanctum. <laughs> yeah. This is where we figure out the universe. So a little closer to Earth, but not, not right on the surface, is the issue of space travel. And you're an advocate for, for NASA. You're an advocate for... No, I, uh, I, I, I'm passive. So yeah, therefore, so, I can't be an advocate. Okay. Oh. Let me, let me okay. put it another way. I, I uh, may come across as one. But, but wait, wait, just to be clear, yeah. I may come across as an advocate. That's only because you asked me about that topic. I will not tell you you should support manned spaceflight. What you might have heard, but you thought was that, mm -hmm. is space exploration, history tells us, is one of the most potent forces to operate on the scientific ambitions of a citizenry. In the 1960s, you didn't need special programs to get people interested in science, to attract teachers into the subjects. It happened on its own. Why? There were weekly headlines 
of our journey into space and you knew you needed the best of the best to breach the frontier of space. So now, if we send humans into space in a big way, that's expensive. So then why do it? Well, if your only goal of space exploration is scientific discovery, there's no reason to put humans in space because humans cost 50 times more than sending robots. Okay. Now, has anyone ever had a ticker tape parade for a robot? Exactly. Has anyone ever asked a robot to write their memoir of their life experience in space? Has any kid said, when I grow up, I want to be a robot? No. We have lectures here at the Hayden Planetarium, and occasionally there's some notable people that you've heard of, but there's a category of speaker that is unique, and that is the astronaut. You know why? Because when the astronaut comes to speak, people want their autograph even if they've never heard of them before. I know of no other kind of person for which that happens. So it's a better story. Yes, but just keep that in mind as I continue my answer to this question. So now we know that innovations in science and technology will be the engines of tomorrow's economy. Without it, you can slide back to the cave because that's going to land as all the rest of the countries pass you by that understand this fact. So how are you going to improve the American economy? How are you going to stoke innovation? Well, do I just tell you to innovate? Or do I say, we're going to Mars, and we don't know how yet? Count me in. I'm an engineer. Let me figure this out. We don't know how to shield against the cosmic rays. I'll get on it. We don't know how to land in this place. I'll get on it. We, we, there could be a life form we've never encountered before. How do we? I'll get on that. And the, you will attract the best. And you know what will happen? Evidence shows the culture shifts. You go from a sleepy country to an innovation nation because you have to innovate to do everything we want to accomplish. And it becomes part of how we think about the world. So there's a greater sense of, of group purpose? Yes, yes. Great, yeah. great phrase, group purpose. So um, you're in a meeting. I say, I don't know how to do this. Let's figure it out. Right. And the meeting could be about anything. Let's figure it out. That descends, permeates the culture, that attitude, that perspective. And what happens? You will get discoveries and you will get patents and you will get spinoffs. But the greater value is everybody wants to innovate. And with that culture of innovation, you assure your economic health far into the future. Well, it's never been more important to make the case for science. It seems like there's a backlash from all different corners against the kind of enlightenment tradition of rational inquiry that you've celebrated in your whole career. And your book really talks about a lot. Before we started rolling, I mentioned that I was a huge fan of the great astrophysicist Carl Sagan when I was in high school. And I got a chance to see him present some research from the Mariner 9, the first satellite to orbit another planet. 
you also had an encounter with Carl Sagan. It went a little farther. When you were a senior in high school, you got on a bus and went to see him. Well, he invited me to come to campus. I had applied to Cornell and was accepted at Cornell. But unknown to me, the admissions office forwarded my application to him for his reaction and comment. And in response to that, he sent a personal invitation to me. He was very well known. I mean, he'd been on The Tonight Show multiple times. Itself a bit controversial. What is a scientist right. doing? He got on, backlash. He got some blowback there was some blowback. And in retrospect, how shallow that attitude is to think that a scientist should not go to where people, um, to, to what people tune into and then share these discoveries, these great discoveries of modern science, especially knowing that it's NASA and NASA is funded by a tax base that we all pay for. So um, he was just simply telling you what you paid for. <laughs> was, right. That's all he was doing. Uh, and I took him up on that invitation, uh, got on a bus from Port Authority of New York, went up to Ithaca, and uh, he met me outside the building. I went in, saw the lab, and we chatted. He, he sat behind his desk. And then he reached back and pulled out a book. Didn't even look. Just pulled a book off a shelf. It was one of his books. I said, wow, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even have to look. And he, his hand touches a book that he wrote. So he signed it to me. I still have this book. Which one is it? Uh, it was The Cosmic Connection. Mm -hmm. And we're done. He drives me back to the bus station. begins to snow. This is December in Ithaca. But then he worried. He said, you know, I don't know if the bus will come th can make it through the snow. If it doesn't. He wrote down his home phone number and said, call me. You can spend the night with my family. And, and, and you're tomorrow. a high school kid. Yeah, I'm a high school. I'm a, I'm, I am nobody. I'm a 17-year-old nobody. And this shaped my life in a fundamental way. I mean, I'd known I wanted to study the universe long before I even knew Carl Sagan existed. But to see someone that well-known give the kind of attention he did to me, a nobody, I thought was astonishing and i said to myself if i am ever as remotely i remember thinking this in the moment if i'm ever as remotely as famous as carl sagan then i will treat students who are up and coming who want to do what i have committed my life to i will treat them the way he has treated me so i'll joke about this but it's it's mostly true right if i have the president on the phone okay i say i gotta go i'll call you back there's a student at the door who has a question for me Jim and I are speaking with astrophysicist and science communicator Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's How Do We Fix It? Your mission, in many ways, is like Carl Sagan's, isn't it? That you want to communicate about science with members of the public who may know nothing about it. So let me offer a, a shade of, of nuance to that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not entirely what I seem. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a confession. <laughs> so for Carl Sagan, it was a mission. Okay. For me, I'm much more passive about it. So what has happened is I get a call from the press. So I've taken upon myself to be as good as I can possibly be in the service of the public's curiosity. That's what I am. I'm a servant. So in that sense, it's not a mission. It may not be a mission, but what you're doing is, is 
important now. Especially. Yeah, it's especially now. I, I agree. I'm just saying that I am investing energy in ways that can improve how I interact with you when you come knocking on my door. And I do that willingly, and I do it gladly. I might be partly delusional here. I admit this. But I've, I, I long for the day <laughs> where uh, all I have to do is go to the lab and mm-hmm. do research. It may be right on the side. And, and then go home. And that's it. <laughs> right. and, and, yeah. and, Good and luck fact, with that. Uh, I know. Right, right. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Check up on me. See how I'm doing on that. Right. That's what I want to do. So your new book is called uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Mm-hmm. Why'd you write it? Well, so I noticed that there are people who, adults, who are curious about the universe, but they could only satisfy that curiosity in a fragmented way. They remembered words from a headline that wafted by, like exoplanet or multiverse. They heard about dark energy, but they don't know, and they can't quite formulate coherent statements regarding it. And I said, these are people who know they like astrophysics, but don't have the time to sit down and study it the way a student would study a course or curriculum. So I said, let me write a book just for them. And I tried it, you know, every few pages, there's some mind blowing stuff. And let me give you one quick example, unless you had a list of them. I don't know. You've got notes in front of you, five pages <laughs> I long. Know, I know. I don't know. Wait. How are we, we going to ask all these questions? Uh, how you? Okay. So one of them was the final chapter, the 12th chapter, is, is titled Reflections on the Cosmic Perspective, which is my attempt to free you to think of what this world looks like when you are empowered with the knowledge of the size and scale and majesty of the universe itself. When you explore the universe, there is no room for your ego. And I'll give you an example. You think you're like, well, we're human, so we're in charge of the earth. And, uh, and I remind you or alert you perhaps for the first time that one linear centimeter of your lower colon contains more bacteria living and working there than all the people who have ever been born. Wow. Ever been born. So what are you to them? 
you are a dark anaerobic vessel of fecal matter <laughs> and nothing else about you matters to them. And if you get them angry, they will let you know this. <laughs> then they're in charge, not you. Okay? So, so a cosmic perspective can come not only from the universe, but in that particular case, from biology. That's where you learn we're not greater than these microbes. We are sharing the same body with them. Should that bring humility? Yes. 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 It will, it will erase any hubris we carry with us as humans. And so you realize that you are not only sharing the same vessel called the human body with these microbes, you need each other. Mm-hmm. So one is not greater than the other. We are participants in an ecosystem. And then you look at the atoms in your body. They're scattered. They exist in the universe because that's where they came from forged in the hearts of stars that have exploded, scattering this enrichment across the galaxy, landing in gas clouds, which then collapse, form stars, and have the ingredients, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon, silicon. These ingredients comprise life as we know it. And so you find out that, no, you're not special because you're made of all the same ingredients as is most of the rest of the universe is being different the prerequisite to being special. It is in our own definitions. I'm special because I'm smarter than you or I'm faster than you or I have more talent. This is how we think about life. But in the universe and in a cosmic perspective, maybe you're special not because you're different but because you're the same. It's a fundamental idea of science that the same laws apply everywhere. Yeah, and Newton talked about this. I yes. know you're a you're a huge <laughs> fan. Me of and no, Newton Isaac go Newton. way back. We we go way but, back. You know, it seems like an obvious point that gravity and and chemistry are the same everywhere, and yet it allowed us understanding that understanding that a certain element has a certain signature in the spectrum has allowed us to open up understanding of these incredibly distant and ancient formations all over the universe yes yes and uh, just to be clear no it's not obvious that the laws of physics on earth are the same everywhere well, actually the ancients didn't believe that right why, 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 why would you think it would be different so it had to be experimentally verified that what goes on on earth and what we discover on earth is duplicated by what goes on on other planets on other stars in other galaxies not only across space but across time and what a triumph of the human intellect to recognize this fact. And I think it's a point worth celebrating. But yes, this is, this is I'm loving it. <laughs> and what I, what I also find compelling about it is that it means that facts are facts. You don't have to be from a certain culture or religion or background or ideology to be able to understand the spectrum or the behavior of, of light. When laws of physics work on Earth and across the universe and across time, they work for you no matter your religion, <laughs> no matter your political philosophy, your cultural philosophy, your whatever is your bias, I can tell you without hesitation that the laws of physics are the same for both of you. There's no Republican gravity or Democrat gravity. This is an objectively established scientific truth is true whether or not you believe in it. 
And so this brings an interesting question onto the table. If you run for office in the pluralistic society that we call America, and you want to pass a law, it seems to me that law should be based on objective truths. Because it's a law that has to apply to everyone, no matter their belief system. The moment you have a belief system that is not objectively true, if you now rise into public office and create a law that now has to apply to everyone, that is the beginning of the end of a free society. Is this happening now? I don't see laws being made just yet. I mean, our founding fathers, there's some clever folk among them, and it kind of helped that this country was founded in response to abuse of power, mm-hmm. meant all of our documents that establish power would prevent that from ever happening again. So however naive this <laughs> statement is, I have confidence in the balance of power that, no, we're not going to end up with a, in a totalitarian state. But science is being challenged today, isn't it? From- yeah, it can be challenged, yeah. sure. Uh, it, it's a free country. You can say and think what you want. Go ahead and challenge it. But if you're going to challenge it because you somehow don't agree with it or don't believe it or it doesn't fit your, fit your philosophies, uh, fine, just don't try to create legislation based on that ignorance. You lose your country. You, you cannot survive by creating laws that are based on things that are not objective truths. It's a house of cards. One area where we see a, a kind of a broad-based assault on, on, not on the conclusions of science, but on the idea that science is possible is in the sort of postmodern academic world. There was, a, there was a protest just a few weeks ago at Pomona College in California where the students were protesting a particular speaker, but I thought their letter to the administration about why she shouldn't be invited was really interesting, and I'm going to read it. How long ago uh, was this? Just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, really? Um, mm-hmm. And the, the, the students wrote, the idea that there is a single truth is a construct of the Euro West that is deeply rooted in the Enlightenment. This construction is a myth, and white supremacy, imperialism, colonization and capitalism are its progeny. The idea that the truth is an entity for, we, for which we must search is an attempt to silence oppressed peoples. So if you were sitting out with those students, what would you say to them? They do not know what science is or how it, why it works. So there's something missing in their education. They don't understand what science is, nor how and why it works. If they did, uh, they could probably get away with a fourth of that letter, but three quarters of it makes no sense in the context of reality. This is a truth that you establish by observation and experiment, no matter who does the observation and experiment. That cannot possibly be a Euro Caucasoid uh, uh, Anglo no patriarchal Patriar- no yeah <laughs> right the patriarchy did they, did they leave that out or was it in there <laughs> it's probably in the yeah, yeah, yeah. it's got to be in the list uh, so uh, that's how and why science works at all okay airplanes are not some construct of Europeans uh, to oppress the world okay airplanes work because of laws of physics that were discovered hard-earned and discovered, yes, actually, by Europeans. But, yeah, 
you can discover those same laws yourself, no matter where you are in the world and no matter what your religion is, unless your religion prevents you from studying laws of physics. Neil deGrasse Tyson, to me, that sounds like a pretty good argument for why America needs to send a lot more astronauts into space. Jim and I will be back with Neil to discuss this and much more, including the argument for why the future of pure science research is so crucial to our progress and even sense of unity as a nation. Thanks for listening. Part two of our interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson is our next podcast. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.